Gracious God, we thank you for you are a great God. We thank you that we can sing to you and enjoy your presence. Thank you for gathering us in this place. God, we lift up to you the things that are happening in our culture every day. We lift up to you the city of Chattanooga, Father God, where there are people mourning the loss of five soldiers who went to work that day not knowing it would be their last. And even in our own community, there are those who have friends who have seen their life go within a moment, Father God. And God, for all of us who are grieving in all different types of ways, God, remind us that this world is temporary, and that there is something eternal that we are hoping for, that you are our hope, and we reach for you, and we live for you. And so, God, remind us of these things. Press into us. We pray that your presence would be with us during this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to see everybody today. Listen, um, when I was in college, I was asked to take over my friend's dog. In other words, I was doing some dog sitting. And so um, I took over their house for a weekend. And in dog sitting, um, I had the opportunity to hang out with this one dog, and they gave me all the rules on how to take care of this dog. In so doing, they gave me a very clear list of things that I should do and should not do. One of the things they helped me to realize, though, was that the dog had a problem. It had tons of food that we had made available to them, but the dog, what it would do is it would often throw up. And what they said was there's cleaning materials that you can come bring them over and clean it up. But just be mindful of this. Our little dog sometimes, after he throws up, he goes back over to the throw up and he eats it. Now, I, I don't, I've never had a dog. I don't have animals. I'm not an animal lover. To me, dogs, roaches, same thing. So I really don't care. <laughs> so I was not used to or accompanied to anything like this. So I remember that night, you know, I fed the dog because I did what they told me to do. So, in feeding the dog, remember that night, sleep, in the middle of the night, I heard, dog threw up. I woke up, and like a good house guest, I went back to sleep. (laughs) But then, only a few seconds later, I heard, You disgusted? (laughs) And the dog went right back over and ate his throw up just like they said he would. And I was blown away. I was like, what? How is this good? And so I cleaned up and I got everything together. And you know what's crazy? Is that in the Bible, it gives this imagery in Proverbs 26 and 11. This is what it says. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool go back to his folly. So this is the imagery. It's an analogy. It says that people will do things that they know it's not good. I mean, there's all this food that the master has available to them. But here they are wallowing in something disgusting. All the while, they have this food available that the master has ready for them. The reason why we're in this series called War Within is because we're dealing with the fact that so many of us have things that we have been warring with tired of, disgusted with, but we find ourselves back in again and again and again. We find ourselves wanting to be set free. And what we said last week was that some of you have been trying to solve you 
for a very long time. And you really have not been able to establish what the problem is. Some of you have thought, my biggest problem is my past. You know, it's my parents, the way they raised me. Daddy wasn't around, mama was overly bearing, I really didn't have the kind of upbringing that I need to be a successful person. Or you may feel that you have some kind of psychological imbalance. It's the way I was raised, it's the way I am, it's the way I, just, it's the way I was born. I'm just, I just have these issues going on inside of me. Or you may feel that there are some spiritual forces. You may have that kind of background where there's something being imposed upon you that overpowers you, some outer force working against you. And all of those problems have truth to them. But there is a greater truth, a deeper truth, that Paul will open up to us in this text. We have been looking at the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. And we mentioned last week that Paul is writing in such a way where he's explaining the faith to people. And as he is explaining his faith, he's actually talking about a problem that he once had. And so he says this in Romans 7, and it's a problem that I think you probably have too. Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, for what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. 18, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Now, if I do, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me. You see, what he's saying here is that regardless of where you're from, if, you, if you're not a Christian, if you have different backgrounds, it doesn't matter. Whatever standard that you believe, if you believe in a different book or if you believe in your, in, your, in your inner conscious that guides you, you're not even consistent to that. We all have this problem of not living by the standard that we think people should live by. And that's all of us, whether it's, whether it's the Bible or anything else. What Paul will explain that, what he argues, is that that's this thing called sin. When we are inconsistent to meet the standard by which we feel people should meet and you should meet, but you can't keep up on it your own self. And so he says, in essence, that sin, it's not just actions, it's, it's like a power that overwhelms us. So much so that we do things that we feel we shouldn't do. And, and, and I told you last week that, I don't know if you did. Did you do my test? I told you to go up to a two-year-old kid. Anybody do that? Okay, some of y'all weren't here. Praise the Lord. Listen, I said, I said, find a very cute two-year-old kid. And they had to be cute. That was the first part of the requirement. The second thing is they had to seemingly be innocent. Thirdly, you needed to go up to the parent and ask the parent if that was an innocent child. And fourthly, you had to observe how the parent was going to bust out laughing because they know their kids are a mess. See, what I'm trying to tell you is all of us have a sin problem. That's what the text is getting at. And what he is getting us to see by giving us this terminology of sin, it's helping us to describe what happens when you're alone on a business trip and no one's around. Or what happened the first year of college. Nobody was there. Your parents weren't there. Or what happens when you get around those certain group of friends? There's something inside of you that knows what's right, but something overwhelms you to do what's wrong. That's called sin. Okay, so we're describing stuff today. Now, what Paul is going to lay out for us is not just an inconsistency, but a frustration. What he says in verse 21 of Romans 7, I believe we have it up there. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there. 
For, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I believe what God says is true, or whatever book you believe is true, or whatever idea you believe is true. I believe it's true, verse 23. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner, the law of sin, working in me. He says, I'm a prisoner. I feel like I'm in prison. I feel like I'm in the prison of me. Maybe today, as you've come in here, maybe you feel like you're in the prison of you. I believe we have an image there, the, the image that we've been using with the war within. You see this guy here? You see how his hands are on his head and how he's slumped over in the corner and how he is frustrated. Many of us have been in that place of being frustrated with you, of looking in the mirror and seeing yourself and being sick and tired of you. Not even just the outer world. You're just tired of you. And you're tired of not being the person you thought you should be. And maybe you've been in that corner. And so to give language to that image right there, Paul says this in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Some of our city groups renamed it ratchet. I don't care what word you want to use. All right. Wretched man, ratchet man, inconsistent man, sinful man. But he's tired of himself. Have you ever been tired of yourself? Tired of you? Now, I'm not talking about oppression. I'm not talking about the outer world. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about the mirror. You're tired of the mirror. <laughs> he says, I'm wretched. I'm tired of me. I, t- I see me. I tell, I tell people to do stuff. I don't do it. Wretched man I am. I'm frustrated with me. I'm frustrated with who I am. I'm frustrated with my inconsistency. When will I grow up? I've been doing this since I was 14 years old. When will I grow up? When will I change? So, he asks a question. And in asking this question, if you were in our city groups this past week, you guys have been doing Bible observation, inductive Bible study. And one of the things that we, the reason why we use observation as one of our beginning tools is because we want to highlight certain words that help us to lead to certain outcomes. So verse 24, he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Notice he says who, he didn't say what. And far too often when we get frustrated with ourselves, The first question we ask is, what will rescue me? And so we look for a new conference, or we look for a new book, or we look for a new method, we look for a new thing. What's going to rescue me? But he doesn't say what. He says, who will rescue me? I need a person that is not in this prison, a person that is not imperfect, a person that is living with a higher righteousness than my own to rescue me from me. (laughs) I need to be rescued from me. And so then he gives us the answer. Praise God for the answer. Verse 25. He says this. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. I'm gracious for the deliverance. Now notice Bible scholars Notice the word is a continual action. He didn't just say he delivered me. He said he delivers me. So this is something that is an ongoing situation in my life. Christ keeps rescuing me from me. 
He's always doing that. And notice also in the text, he says it's through Jesus Christ, not just because of Jesus. So he's not talking about a past situation. He's talking about an active situation that I'm always depending on Christ for my deliverance and my rescue. And so herein lies our explanation of how you can start winning the war that's happening in you. Paul experienced success over whatever the thing is. I don't know, I don't know what Paul was dealing with. He doesn't tell us. I'm kind of glad he didn't tell us. But whatever it was, he experienced some level of success over it. And he says Jesus delivers him. Now the interesting point is that Jesus had been gone for 25 years by the time he wrote this letter. So he's not talking about Jesus coming on the scene. There must be something deeper happening. All right, so if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone or if you just want to look on the screen... Let's open up to the book of Romans, chapter 6. And in turning there, we're going to start in verse 2. While you're turning or clicking, um, <coughs> realize that Paul was, again, working with a Jewish community. And this Jewish community had come to faith in Christ. In coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they were Romans. They were in the Roman world but they were Jewish. And so they had not really gotten accustomed to the ways of Christ. So what he's doing, a lot of what Paul is doing is he's explaining something to people that are Christians, but there's just certain things they don't know. Even though they're called a Christian, there's certain things about Christ they just don't know. So he is explaining this to them in such a way that they would learn and know. Verse 2. He says, how... Can we who die to sin still live in it? How can we keep sinning? How can we keep doing it? Now, when he uses the terminology live in it, he's talking about how can we get comfortable with sinning? Now, this is a rhetorical question. We all know. We get, look, some of us could start a class. I'll tell you how to live in sin, right? That's not, that's not really a deep question, you know. There's a lot of different ways. We'll talk about it after. But living in sin is not something that he's like, I don't think y'all know how to do this. It's a rhetorical question. He's asking, if you're a Christian, why aren't you living it out, basically is what he's saying. And I love Paul. You know why I love him? Because he's not like me and you. Because what we tend to do is when we see Christians that are inconsistent, we beat them up. Right? So why, why are you still living in it? And we start detailing all their issues and we start berating them. But what he does with a calculated kind of care, he begins to teach them graciously. I, I think there's something you don't know. Based upon your actions, I think there's just something you don't realize. So he begins to explain something that will help give them the kind of freedom he knows they actually want. So he says in verse 3, or don't you know, maybe you don't know this, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now what you have to understand is that the terminology baptism is not just a term that was used just by Christians. Christians basically have hijacked that term. But baptism is a term that was used quite often in society at the time, especially in the Roman world. Baptism is the imagery of immersing something. 
immersing something to the point where when it would come up, it would look different. So you would immerse like a white cloth in purple dye, and it would come up a purple cloth. Philip Nicander, he was actually a poet at the time, and he wrote one day how to make pickles. Some of you, I've told you this before. In talking about how to make pickles, he says this. There's a word bapto, and that means to dip. But then there's a word baptize, and that means to immerse. He says, when you make a pickle, you take a cucumber and you dip it into hot water. You bapto it. But then you take that cucumber and then you put it in vinegar solution. You baptize it. And when you put it in vinegar solution, it goes down a cucumber, but it comes back up a pickle. It shows immersion for the sake of transformation. It gives this imagery of transformation. So whenever someone would say you've been baptized into something, they were talking about being so wholeheartedly in it that you are now transformed and you look like what you just were in. In the same way, he's going to say we've been baptized into Christ. All right, so we get this imagery. Now, last week, we gave an illustration. Can y'all see in the back? Praise the Lord. Y'all can or you cannot. Um, we said, basically, that... This is being in Adam. And what we said was everyone who is born is born into a situation where we are inconsistent. We sin. And we would all agree that we're imperfect. And if we don't, we're lying, right? Praise God. So we're all imperfect people. And I said, and look, we use these balls to illustrate how everyone who is born is born in Adam. And we see that in their life. And so I said, my beautiful wife, she's not here today, my beautiful, fine, fine wife, she's in sin. I said, my kids, my pretty, pretty kids, they're in sin. My mama, I'm talking about my mama, she's in sin. Martin Luther King, let's say everybody, everybody is born into sin. Everybody who is born, and you know what? You know this already. You haven't called it sin, but you know people are imperfect. You know people are inconsistent. You've had people let you down. You have people you thought were perfect. You find out they're not perfect. You know all these things already. But what happens is this. When a person is believing now in Jesus Christ, for the things they do, that inconsistency, when they believe in Jesus Christ and they trust in him to take the penalty of their sin, then what happens is they're now placed in Christ. And now you now have a new position. And so your position now being in Christ, the imagery of baptism is how someone is taken down into a grave and they come up a new person. That's the imagery baptism is creating. So it's not only giving you the imagery of death and new life, but it is also reminding you this idea of being in Christ. It's giving you this imagery of your position with him. You see, so that's why it's so important that when we talk about baptism, we're not just talking about a ritual you did when you were 12 because everybody in church is supposed to do it. You know what I'm saying? Because I did that, right? The ritual, though it is good, may not have indicated that you were walking in a new life. So when you do baptism, it is supposed to be this expression of transformation. So in verse 6, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 4 of Romans 6, verse 4, it says, We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, just like Christ, we too may walk in new life new potential, new power. 
Now you have the power to defeat sin because in the cross, Christ defeats sin. And so you have Christ's power. You had Adam's power. My ball, Bring that back, praise God. No, but this is a really good point about sin. And listen, when you did not know Christ, you had to do what you did because the power of Adam was working inside of you. Now you don't have to do what you did because the power of Christ is inside of you. You have the power of Christ inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You now have the now a new power source to operate from. And this new power source is a new potential for a new you so you don't have to live an old way. There can be a new you because there's a new person inside of you. It's not just from a new method. It's not just from a new habit. It's not from a new book. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through his power and through his life and through his death, burial, and resurrection, you now can live new. You have that potential. And you don't have to live in a way where you're defeated. You don't have to live defeated. Everyone around you may live defeated, but you don't have to live defeated because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of Jesus living inside of you. And so he says in Romans 6 and 7, if you in your Bible look there, he says, because anyone who has died, that imagery, believing in Christ, anyone who has died has been, look at that, look at that, set free from sin. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Anyone, anyone, it's not just a pastor thing. Anyone who has died Anyone who has believed has been set free from sin. Anybody. Anybody. They've been set free. You've been set free. Freedom. Freedom to live like you know you've always wanted to live. Freedom to be the person you know you've always wanted to be. Freedom. Freedom. And then he says in this incredible imagery, he says in verse 14, In light of all this, in verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master. Sin's not your master anymore. You've been set free. What we entitled this message was knowing is half the battle. Knowing that you now have the power and the potential to live as God has intended you to live because of the work of Jesus. Now, many of you are sitting here saying, I knew that already. (laughs) And I'm still doing stuff, right? Now, what is the problem? The problem is a problem that a gentleman named Brooks Hatlin had. Anybody in here seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Anyone, anyone? One third of the crowd, praise God. Good, glad I got a group that can relate to this. Shawshank Redemption was a movie back in the early 90s. It was about prison and all this, but there was a guy named Brooks Hatlin in the movie. Brooks Hatlin was the librarian in the prison. And Brooks had been in prison for 50 years. And he had gotten accustomed to handing out books to people and he was very friendly with people. And one day, Brooks came to the parole board And they said, Brooks, you've been set free. Well, he didn't know what to do with himself. But 
He ends up going into the world and he ends up saying the, the cars are moving so fast. 50 years ago it wasn't like this. And he had to get his own job and he wasn't accustomed to freedom. And what they said of Brooks was Brooks ultimately couldn't handle being on the outside. The terminology they would use for Brooks is that he had been institutionalized. He had gotten so used to being in the institution that he could never live in the freedom that he had. The pardoning that he had, he could never operate from because of the institutionalization of his mind. Many of us, in the same way, you know, there's this image in the Old Testament of the children of Israel. They're set free from slavery. Moses delivers them. And yet, while they're in the wilderness, they keep saying, oh, it was better back in Egypt. I want to go back to slavery when things were horrible for 400 years. I want to go back. Something about going back seems better. And so in the same way the children of Israel were institutionalized by Pharaoh, and in the same way that Brooks Hatman was institutionalized by that prison, many of us, though we've been set free, we've been institutionalized by sin. We've gotten so accustomed, accustomed to sin that, that we've quietly let it become a quiet culture of our lives. And it's not just a habit, it's a lifestyle. And it's not just quiet, some of us announce it. And we've been institutionalized by this, this framework of sin in our minds. But the beauty of the gospel and the good news that I present to you today and was explained by Paul is that even if you've been institutionalized, even if you've been living inconsistent, today you can be reminded of the good news of the gospel. And you can live out the freedom that Christ died to set you free for It's yours already. You can live under the power of the gospel and live with the freedom that Christ died for. You don't have to live institutionalized. You don't have to sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. I, I pray that you would start telling yourself the truth about something you have believed, you believe a lie about your entire life. And I want you to challenge That sin, that power source that has had control over you. Now, if you're not a Christian, then maybe you don't buy into the problem nor the solution. You don't believe in this sin thing, nor do you believe in the Christ thing. And that's fine. Let this be information for your heart and your mind. But if you're a Christian and you desire to live in a certain way, to live with freedom, then you you have to start naming those things that are incarcerating you. I want you to choose an area in your life that Paul's struggle reminds you of. I I keep doing it. I don't want to do it. uh, What reminds you of that? When you said amen, the the few of you that did, praise God. (laughs) When you say amen, why did you say amen? Or if you gave me a strong head nod, why did you do it? What was it inside of you that said, yes, that's me? He's talking to me. He's talking to me. That's me. What is it? And whatever that area of is, and it might be, it might be many areas, but that one area that, that leaves you like that young man sitting over in a corner like I'm tired of me, I'm tired of this, whatever that area is, what I want you to do is I want you to start naming it. See, because in verse 14, Paul says, sin is not my master. It's not my master. 
He says, it's not my master. And in the same way, some of us have just got to start naming porn is not my master. I know I've been clicking and dragging for years, but it's not my master. I don't want to get comfortable with it. I want to fight it. It's not my master. Or that girl or that guy, they're not my master. I know when I get around them, I keep doing things that I don't want to do. Or when I get around that crowd or that crew, I keep falling in those same habits and those same ways, but they're not my master. It could be just cheating or lying or stealing. Whatever it is that is making you like him, that where you're tired of yourself, I proclaim to you today your freedom. I proclaim to you today that you don't have to be that way. And I encourage you, I plead with you, start fighting by naming what it is and reminding it and reminding you that it has no mastery over you. That you are not institutionalized by it. And you you will not be incarcerated by your sin. You will live out the freedom that you know Christ has died for you for. You'll live it out. Choose it. Choose that thing that you know is working. Listen, 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 listen. Sin is not my master. 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 Now I wonder, can you say that? Can, can you say that today? Can, can we have a little crowd participation? Praise God. Can you say that? Can you say it? Can you say sin is not my master? Try that. Try that. Sin is not. My master. Now, I want you, you ever tell somebody off? I mean, you know what I'm saying? You, know what I'm saying? you ever tell somebody off? Like, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not. <laughs> I want you to, I want you to, I want, I want you to, now, I want you to name what you're saying, but just, 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 just real quick. I, that was kind of like, I'm saying it because you're saying it, but I'm just saying, I'm saying, I want you to see what it is that has been controlling you. And I just want you to call it sin, but I need you to say it in such a way where you're ready to fight and not just lay down anymore. You know what I'm talking about? So let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Sin is not my master. One more time. Sin is not my One more time. Sin is not my master. Whatever it is, it's not your master. It's not your master. It does not control you. And so many of us have been living locked up when you've been set free. You've been set free. You've been set free. It's amazing. You know the story of Juneteenth? It's an incredible story. Little town in Texas. 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation happened. Abraham Lincoln signed it into law that the slaves were set free. But in this little town in Texas, they never knew. And Juneteenth is a celebration when these people found out that they had been free for years. And I want today to be your Juneteenth so that you would know you've been free all this time. And if you do it again, get up and fight again. You see, that's the, that's, that's the, that, that, that little nugget, that little space right there of I did it again, then fight again. 
It's that moment of inconsistency that when you when that that you have a you have a moment you have a decision to make whether to grow quiet and comfortable or aggressive and fighting, and you say things like this is just the way that I am. This is always going to be this way. This is going to be my little secret. Or sin is not my master.